0: Welcome to another episode of my podcast. Today, we're talking about the transformation of the meat industry and the replacement of animal-based meat by cell and plant-based meats. I talk about this with Elena Walden, who is a policy manager at the Good Food Institute Europe, which is a non-profit organization focusing on a more sustainable food system. The Good Food Institute works towards making plant-based and cultivated meat dairy and eggs as delicious price competitive and convenient as possible elena is a former policymaker in the european parliament and she's extremely knowledgeable about this topic of transforming the meat industry in previous interviews on this channel i've talked to other experts from the farming and food production industry so it will be very interesting to look at this topic from different angles and put things in perspective so now without further ado let's dive right into the interview with elena Elena, thank you very much for being on this call. Um, To just give some context to the people listening to this, I was wondering if we could first talk a little bit about the problems with conventional meat production, uh, dairy and egg production. Um, So uh, especially from your work um, at the Good Food Institute, do you focus on this mainly from uh, like uh, an environmental or uh, uh, sustainability perspective, or is it also for a large extent for a, a health, human health perspective?
1: Yeah, sure. So Percy, thanks so much, Misha, for having me. It's really great to be here. Really looking forward to chatting with you today. Um, so basically to answer that question, it's Basically, all of those, all of those things, and more. So we know that our current, our current food system and its reliance on primarily in her, um, industrial animal agriculture is just deeply unsustainable on so many levels. So if you just take environment to start with, uh, you know our, our current animal agriculture is is a key driver of climate change. So globally, our animal agriculture system contributes as much greenhouse gas emissions as the entire. Uh, global transport sector combined. So that's all the trucks, all the planes, all the cars in the world. There's also other environmental issues that we're concerned about. So deforestation, for example, we're we're cutting down the Amazon to feed animals so that we can eat the animals. Um, Also biodiversity. Um, So, yeah, there's so many environmental reasons why we need to shift towards a more sustainable food system and why we are passionately uh, advocating for plant-based and cultivated meat as part of this solution, as well as health. I mean, yeah, you touched on a really important point there that, um, again, industrial animal agriculture is driving... Kind of antimicrobial resistance, for example, like seventy percent of global antibiotics are fed directly to livestock. Uh, in Europe, it's about half. So AMR is another huge, huge concern for us. Um, also, zoonotic diseases. I mean, we're seeing in Europe outbreaks of bird flu, sort of, you know, every every couple of months, nearly. So that's a huge concern. Obviously, also pandemics. I mean, we're all living through one now. And the UN has identified that raising and and killing animals for food is is one or two of the top drivers of the next pandemic. So. It's all of the environmental health reasons that you've, you've alluded to. Um, it's also a question of kind of global development and sustainable, sustainable development. How are we gonna reach our SDGs? I mean, um, animal agriculture in itself is just inherently inefficient way of feeding ourselves. I mean, we have, a, we have a statistic at the Good Food Institute we use a lot, which is that it takes nine calories of feed to feed a chicken to get one calorie of food in the form of its flesh. And that's the most efficient animal that we eat so if you just think about what that means in terms of kind of the millions that are going hungry now and what we could do with all that extra land and that, all that extra space it's also a poverty kind of a development issue as well i mean that's why people like the bill and bill and melinda gates foundation are looking at this as a real solution to, to global poverty so yeah environmental health many many reasons why we're doing this
0: yeah yeah so it's all interconnected uh, also um yes. that that's a, that's a long list of of reasons and 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 issues that that uh that you are addressing and that need to be addressed. Are there one or two things on the list that you would say, like these are the most pressing because of urgency in terms of timing or because uh, they're the biggest problems?
1: Yeah. So I guess the top two from that list I would highlight is the climate crisis. I mean, Uh, it's actually really interesting a recent report found that even if you know as a world we moved completely away from fossil fuels like we completely eliminated fossil fuels we couldn't meet our Paris climate condition uh, ambitions if we didn't look at our food system and look at animal agriculture so I think climate change is a huge driver for us and I mean in Europe uh, where we're working it's it's obviously a huge policy ambition and we're really excited by the potential of plant-based and cultivated meat to to address that i mean we we've done studies at the good food institute that show plant-based meat can reduce greenhouse gas emissions by up to 90 percent. cultivated meat also similar similar studies have found similar amounts so the climate climate change is probably one of the biggest drivers the other thing that i'm personally really concerned about um, is antimicrobial resistance i mean there was a recent report um, in the UK government that found a threat to human health from antimicrobial resistance is is more even more impactful than climate change so you know we wow. could be looking at the the end of modern medicine if we are continue on this path you know feeding huge amounts of anti- antibiotics to animals so um, yeah those yeah. those two for me personally but I mean we have a lot of we work with a lot of different people and a lot of people are motivated by different reasons in this but those two for me are definitely the ones yeah. that stand out
0: yeah yeah yeah. Well, I mean, that's definitely uh, like probably climate change, climate change is for a part of the population is still a bit abstract because you don't, well, partly you don't see it yet, but like, uh, if you're going to die from uh, from an infection, because you can't use antibiotics, that's a very scary thing. Yeah. So, um, what, how's the meat industry, like the conventional meat industry developing at the moment, uh, In what which, which direction is it going?
1: So when we look at, um, so what we do at Goodford Institute as well as kind of the policy work and also the science and research work, so we're doing these two things, but we're also looking at corporate engagement um, in terms of getting the meat industry to to also recognise the potential of um, alternative proteins, so plant-based and cultivated meat. Um, And we're seeing really, really amazing things happening kind of globally. So in the US, Tyson and Cargill, who are kind of the biggest... Uh, meat producers or some of the biggest meat producers they're they're investing in plant-based and cultivated meat Um, in Europe we're seeing PHW uh, group which is like the biggest poultry producer in, in or one of the biggest poultry producers in Europe is also kind of investing so I think Basically, everybody can everybody who's in this business can see the, the potential of plant-based and cultivated meat. Um, it's basically a way of producing the food that we all love and that we want to continue eating and that consumers want to continue eating in increasing numbers, it seems. I mean, global demand for meat is is going up. Um, but it's basically a way of producing that food, but in just a much more sustainable and better way. It's it's really kind of a way of producing protein in a much better way so um yeah we're seeing really really positive things happening globally in terms of also kind of existing players in the meat industry also recognizing the potential of of plant-based and cultivated meat
0: right right are you uh, a vegan or vegetarian yourself how, how I'm are a you vegetarian. This personally right
1: yeah so i've been a vegetarian most of my life uh, mostly because i'm i'm so concerned about the impact of, of our food system on the environment um so yeah the idea that i could basically have the same experience have have the same food that you know i used to eat when i was sort of like you know a teenager um but kind of produced in ways without any of the guilt to be an environmental health impacts that that really appeals to me and i i don't even meet now eat meat now so
0: (laughs) yeah 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 and and when you started uh stop eating or you when you stopped eating meat uh, it has and compared to today, is there a big difference in terms of the type of pro- the type of products that you can get from the supermarket, or like the the type of uh, meat replacement products, uh, alternative meats that you can eat?
1: Yeah, so for me personally, definitely. Um, so I uh, I grew up in the UK, and we've seen like the UK is actually one of the biggest, like one of the most successful and advanced kind of plant based meat markets in this. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean when we're talking about plant based meat, we're really not talking about kind of the lentil and bean, black bean burgers that we used to eat 20, 30 years ago. What we're really talking about is kind of replicating the experience of eating meat. So, uh, you know, there's companies globally like uh, Beyond Meat or Impossible Foods who are really looking basically for the first time at how we can use plants to replicate the meat experience. So really not only appealing to people like me who who already chose to, to stop eating meat, but appealing to the, the traditional meat eaters in this. Um, so that's really exciting, and we're seeing you know huge amount of development in the sector, um, and really appealing to people who just want to continue eating meat but produce in a better way. I mean, we're seeing things like double digit growth consistently over the last ten years in in the plant based. Sector, so the demand is soaring, and um, and for right reason, and the technology is just getting better. and And one of the one of the things we're trying to do at the Good Food Institute is really to get governments and policymakers to start taking this very seriously as a solution and investing public open access R and D money into this space, because that's how we can accelerate, uh, you know, the whole sector. We can bring up everybody everybody's starting point um, and really kind of see huge progress and work towards produce being able to produce plant-based meat that really appeals to the three things that really drive consumer taste. so that is price taste and convenience so if we can get plant-based meat to to taste the same or even better than conventional meat if we can get it to cost the same or less and the emphasis on the less is that we really think that with the economies of scale it will be possible to produce it at, at at a cheaper cost then we can really you know really start to see the shift. Kind of in the wider wider food system and, and just think of the potential in terms of kind of the market
0: as well right right so in that terms is it mainly an r&d question to to get it that far or w- like what's the biggest hiccup or i mean like you said it's already developing very quickly but along that route towards uh, the end goal where you want to be that everybody eats that uh, those products um, what are still the the obstacles there
1: yeah so i think r and d is a huge part of it and just in terms of money and talent really those are the, those are the main obstacles we see i mean just to just to give you an idea i mean the the first kind of company that was really thinking about using plants to replicate the experience of meat only started working about five or six years ago so we're really early on in this in in that stage yeah. um, of development so you know before the vegetarian burgers used to be basically kind of waste products from agriculture so soy and wheat waste products like smudged together and given to vegetarians and that was kind of plant that was vegetarian kind of options or plant-based meat yeah. we can do so much more there's so there's so we've really only begun to tap into the potential of looking at plants to uh replicate experience of eating meat so things like crop optimization for example so we're only using a few crops now Um, to get the protein to create um, plant-based meat so primarily soy uh, wheat but also kind of increasingly pea about 92 percent of the crops that we have aren't haven't been explored for seeing whether they would work to kind of optimize and and use for plant-based meat so i mean r&d and talent is are the two biggest stumbling blocks we we need to see kind of more money and more excitement in this space. And it's, it's really going to be a feedback loop as well. You know, the more money there is in this space and the more, the more kind of, uh, you know, private investment goes in and that's why we also need like public money to bring the whole sector up. So, yeah, I think those are the two, the two summing blocks because at the moment, most of the money that's going in and most of the kind of people working on it, but most of the R and D that's going in is, you know, behind IP, it's different companies working on the same thing. Um, so that doesn't. Some of that's duplicative. Some of that, um, you know, doesn't get lost if the product doesn't get developed. If we had open access R and D in the space, we'd not only bring the whole sector up, but we'd we'd get governments to really invest in the societal benefits as well of right,
0: it. So, right. and do you think yeah. companies are also open to that? To uh, because they're doing R and D themselves, uh, probably, especially the big ones. Uh, mm. Would they be open to share their uh, their knowledge and developments?
1: Um, but the point of it, open access R&D would that be that, that, money, that, that research and that technology would, would exist for anybody to use. So, for example, I mean, a couple of companies have put money and research and time into seeing how you can get kind of the aftertaste of pee out of their, their products. GFI yeah. a couple of year, years ago funded open access R&D to do the same thing. So if you think about it, if that knowledge exists and that that kind of, uh, you know, that pool of, of knowledge exists, then those companies can then look at the next step in terms of. So really, it's a, it's it's yeah. a win win for everyone because you can actually then concentrate on kind of making this more competitive on price, taste, and convenience.
0: Right, right, right. So you're basically facilitating the the first step in the R and D process where the where the commercial companies can take it uh, forward from there.
1: Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's a really underexplored area, and it and given the potential it has. I mean, we're talking about plant based here, but we could also be talking about cultivated. It's really staggering yeah. that. Um, you know not there hasn't been as much kind of exploration and, and with that money in this sector um, you know it's really important to 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 think about this as kind of the benefits it would bring and yeah it's it's really it really needs kind of government investment because I mean if you think about the parallel with things like renewable energy or even kind of you know the technology that goes into making phones there's an initial hurdle of kind of research and knowledge that needs to be known for this kind of this uh, product to take off and after that it's about refining and improving so if we can get that first hurdle kind of get over that first hurdle get that research and that foundational knowledge in place then we can really start to see kind of exponential improvements in in this
0: yeah right 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 um and and you already mentioned cell-based meat uh is that uh uh let's say the plant-based meat are is a bit further ahead obviously there's already products out there on the market Cell-based meat, as far as I'm aware of, it's not commercialized yet. It's more in the R&D phase. Uh, correct me so if I'm the,
1: wrong. So the the first time at the end of last year, Singapore um, authorized just uh, eat just uh, chicken nuggets, which were using cultivated meat for the first time in, in a restaurant in in Singapore. So it, excitingly, it's kind of the future is now. We're already we're already seeing commercialization.
0: Right, and and what are the uh, are there any ethical uh not necessarily from yourself but do you hear sounds from from society or from government that that raise up ethical questions regarding the cell based meat
1: um i mean i think there's just general uh if you look at that kind of the, the surveys and and things about whether people would be interested in eating meat the the, the numbers are really good and you know we have some of the highest uh, food standards uh, you know singapore itself has really robust food standards processes to put this through. So, I mean, the fact that it gained regulatory approval in Singapore is, is just a really good omen for what, what could happen worldwide. Yeah. So in terms of um, ethical concerns, I mean, no, the, 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 the processes and the procedures exist to check that it's safe and it passed those with flying colors in Singapore. So we're just really hopeful and waiting for that, for that to be replicated worldwide and, and it is yeah. coming.
0: Great, yeah, so that's basically a matter of time before we can all see that across the world. Um, if we talk about uh, plant uh, and partly also cell-based meat, could you uh, say a little bit about uh, because you talked about greenhouse uh, impact um, of agriculture, uh, CO two uh, carbon emissions in particular. Does cell-based meat or um, probably there they have two different uh, explanations behind it? But cell-based and plant-based meat are they a net uh, carb? Are they taking carb out of the atmosphere? Are they still emitting a little bit, but much less than uh, animal food production? Or how does how does that uh, how is that put into perspective?
1: Yeah, so it's it's compared to the, I mean we have to compare this to uh, our current system of industrial animal agriculture, and compared to that, it's it's a huge. Huge benefit. I mean, we at the Good Food Industry we collect kind of research on um all the different life cycle analyses of plant-based meat, and we found that it emits between 30 to 90 percent less greenhouse gases than conventional meat. Um, for cultivated meat, I mean it's a little bit harder because we're, you know, we're less developed in that respect. And a lot of the research that exists is kind of based on assumptions about how the energy use will be. Yeah. Um so you know, you change the assumptions and the the result changes dramatically so it's quite hard to make really precise um precise uh, calculations about that but we have i mean there are some research that show that it could be up to kind of again 90 percent less greenhouse gas emissions um and yeah it's uh in terms of like in, but you know the wider wider kind of question here is you know inherently plant-based and cultivated needs Is so much more efficient and is so much more sustainable because of the land use. If you think about, you know, the inherent kind of realities of animal agriculture, you need to you need to grow huge amounts of crops, huge amounts of feed to feed to animals so that we can then eat the animals. You basically remove that question for um, for plant based and cultivated meat. You use far less land, far less water, so far less natural resources. And, you know, that in itself presents huge opportunities. I mean, that's why we're so excited about this potential. And we're so, so much trying to get governments on board because, you know, what could you do with all of that land? I mean, you can then use it to, to really, you know, carbon capture and things like that. But in order to get to a food system where you can do things like that, you need to address the elephant in the room, which is demand. I mean, global demand for meat is rising. I mean, the UN put a report uh, out a few years ago that said by 2050, we might need between 50 and 100% more meat to satisfy demand. Um, In Europe, we're a little bit better on this front, but still we're talking about a 1% decrease by 2030. So, I mean, the the demand is there. We need to think about how we can satisfy that demand. And that is the the potential and the kind of the excitement we have around plant-based and cultivated meat because it can be scaled up, to meet that demand and again addressing the three things that consumers really care about and really uh, you know drive their choices is price taste and convenience if we can satisfy those three factors with this we can really shift away from kind of the core of our food system now which is based on industrial animal agriculture i mean if you just take chicken for example in europe 95% of the chicken we eat is from industrial systems so you know there's a huge question first which is how do we address demand
0: and how do, how do uh, uh, other big, well, you can't call them emerging economies anymore, but uh, countries like China, India with a big population, uh, growing demand of uh, meat from what I understand. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, interesting because they have a long history in uh, already pre- eating like uh, tofu type of products and, and, and let's say, uh, alternatives to meat. How do they fit in that trend?
1: Yeah, so I think you, you made a great point that, you know, with developing countries and developing economies, I mean, almost on clockwork, the first thing that um, people do when they get richer is, is their demand for meat goes up. So, yeah, that's a huge, um, huge source of uh, kind of demand. And that's why we've projected to the global demand is projected to rise so much precisely because of that reason. Um, in terms of where they fit in, I mean, other than, uh, I mean, there are other kind of incentives there for their governments. I mean, for example, food safety and food security is a, is a huge concern, particularly in China. And, um, you know, China uses antibiotics in their, in their industrial animal agriculture that, you know, are banned in Europe and are banned in, uh, in other parts of the world. So the ability, because of the nature of plant-based and cultivated meat that we can produce uh, food, but in a much cleaner and safer way, so we don't need any of the antibiotics. no risk of fecal contamination for example things like e coli salmonella when you're growing meat in a clean environment you don't have any of those risks and also just the the kind of um the the attraction to really improve your food security and the resilience of your food system in countries like that is also a huge draw so we're really, yeah, we really think that um, this has global potential, particularly in those in those regions. And and good food, we the Good Food Institute, we have you know offices in China, in India, and you know we're working with them, and we're we're seeing the potential that it could have to address some kind of also basic questions about just how how do you feed a growing population, um, and not you know destroy the climate and shut down the rainforest at the same time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I can, mani- I can imagine it, those different regions have uh, different challenges also to address. Uh, and perhaps interesting uh, when you look at China with a central government, uh, w- once they start to uh, put some weight behind policies like this, they probably also will be able to give a, a big push to, uh, to changes in society.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, one thing we are talking about a lot to kind of European policymakers and European governments is that we're already seeing countries across the world really investing in this. So, I mean, Singapore, for example, has really invested in, in this technology. Um, we're seeing Israel has just appointed a national coordinator for alternative proteins, so really getting a joined-up government approach to this. Um, and I think yeah, just just looking at what's happening, looking at the development, looking at it's already been commercialized in Singapore last year, like the first of of many coming in the, in the, in the coming years. If you know, if China or you know another country really invest in this and committed to this and put billions into this, then Europe is going to be left behind. So, yeah, it's 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 both a potential, but it's also should be kind of an incentive for Europe not to get left in the dust. I mean. You're, you're talking to me from the Netherlands. I mean, Netherlands has been a, a pioneer in this space. I mean, Mark Post was the one who, who created the world's first cultivated burger. Um, you know, we work uh, very closely, and I'm sorry, I'm going to completely butcher this pronunciation, but with Wageningen University, uh, who are like really pioneering this space and the research they're doing. Um, you have Mosa Meat, who's a cultivated meat company based on Maastricht. And, you know, Europe has huge potential to be a leader and a global leader in this space. Uh, the research facilities that we have, the kind of, you know, the sensibilities of our population. We're very concerned about environmental environmental health issues. We have a huge potential. And if if we don't take it seriously, then we do risk being left behind with the likes of kind of China, Singapore, Israel.
0: Yeah. Are, are we slow as, as EU or the individual member states? Uh, of course, the UK is a European country, but are we too slow in decision-making and the, the policy developments compared to other countries?
1: I don't know if it's about necessarily the, the decision making or the policy process. I mean, you know, we've seen the European Union has come out with this really ambitious uh, farm to fork strategy. I mean, that's that's hugely encouraging in terms of its potential and its ambition and it's trying to produce there. I think it's it's just a question of really uh, recognizing the potential of plant-based and cultivated meat to solve really huge problems that governments are trying to address. So climate change, health crises, you know, antimicrobial resistance, governments all have these plans in place to address it. I mean, I just, I just find it really, really fascinating, really great, because we spend so much time talking about problems, talking about climate change, talking about antimicrobial resistance, like how do we like seemingly intractable problems that we have faced with um but here we're talking about a solution. I mean, plant-based and cultivated meat is a solution to this problem. We we have the toolbox to address our food system and make it more sustainable. So it's just a bit baffling why, you know, why we're not spending more time talking about this. I mean, think about all of the time and the money that's gone into talking about things like renewable energy. You know, we should be doing the same for food system. We need like kind of a, a government approach to this question. And, and it has so much potential to be, so transformative and you know governments governments need to be taking it seriously and that's what we're doing at the Food Institute is we're trying to show policymakers the potential of this to solve not only one problem but a whole heap of problems we're faced with and um, yeah and it's by getting that open access R&D that we will really accelerate the development in this sector.
0: Right yeah yeah um we've already covered a lot, which also kind of uh, indicates how much information, uh, uh. there is on this topic, how much research is going on. And, and you guys are obviously doing a, a large part of that. Um, I guess the good day, the good thing about the day that, uh, the age that we are living in is, is the accessibility of all that information through internet and, uh, also a lot of books, of course, but internet is the main contributor. Um, it's, it sometimes seems a bit uh, overwhelming almost where you have, uh, if you look at the tech sector, for example, we you mentioned briefly renewable energy. There's obviously a huge push and development in uh, solar, wind energy. Um, there's also then a group of people that are advocating nuclear energy because they have proven there i mean there's researchers on each side there's uh, specialists on each side that can prove with papers this is the solution and the other thing is is actually not working or um, so that can be a little bit confusing to the public Um, what are your thoughts about the all the information on different angles different sources that is available regarding sustainable food production
1: yeah so i mean one thing i would say is that we wish there was more information and more research done in in plant-based and cultivated meat. I mean, you know, some of the the gaps that we're trying to address at the Good Food Institute, so looking at where the research is, I mean, this is really foundational stuff. And and we almost wish there was more kind of academia around this, because that would really, again, help kind of show the potential of this and, and really help to bring the entire sector up. I mean, one thing there is no... of ambivalence about there is pretty consistent information about is that our current system is not working and our current food system is broken it's completely unsustainable uh, on so many levels so i mean yeah just just uh that fact alone i think highlights the need to really look at all of the solutions that we have at our disposal and plant-based and cultivated meat is is a huge part of that because we we believe it's a huge part of that because it has this transformative potential because it is c- scalable it can meet demand if we really invest in it um so i think we know that we need to address our food system we know that it's unsustainable on so many levels uh plant-based and cultivated meat is a huge part of that i don't necessarily think that like there's there needs to be you know in competition with other forms i think every you know regenerative and organic agriculture which i know you've talked about a lot on this podcast you know that that is also could be part of the solution but what we're trying to address at, at the good Food Institute with plant-based and cultivate cultivated meat is that you know this can be scalable this can meet global demand and for that reason alone it is a huge part of the solution and um, yeah i think that that's the message is that we have this huge crises and um, in terms of our environmental crisis but also a health crisis we need to look at all the solutions and this is as of yet a very underexplored solution to address that issue
0: yeah well i'm 100 agree with you that uh, uh yeah we need to look at the uh at those issues a lot and a lot more than that is even already done uh, right now um yeah you already said uh, i had a few guests before talking about regenerative agriculture i guess one of the um arguments that they present is that um, but it's also interesting you already mentioned there's a lot of um, uh, plants that we haven't explored yet for using plant-based meat uh, but pr- particularly uh, production of soy corn those are all annual plants that have to be harvested every year it has to be some plowing done and from uh, that's why I also mentioned if you look at different sides of the story there's always uh, research behind that and figures being shown. And if you only look at Facebook memes and uh, the, the short analysis of that, it, it can be very compelling, but I guess the truth is always somewhere in the middle. Um, but but what they're saying is that the, the plowing, the tilling is is causing a lot of CO2 to, to go into the atmosphere, which is being uh, captured and sequestered. If you would switch from a, f- a form of meat production from the uh, the uh, factory meat let's say uh, animals being fed by soy by by grains and you have pastured meat um I don't know if, if what your thoughts about about that are
1: yeah so I think what's important to remember is that the vast majority of feed crops so like soy um you know eighty percent of global so- soy production goes to feeding animals so it goes to um, yeah feeding animals part as part of the animal agriculture industry so that we can eat the animals yeah. So when we talk about um, you know the impact that has on the environment, I mean we need to remember that you know only six percent of the soy production globally are is being used is being grown for human consumption so if we want to get rid of that impact we need to look at changing our default way of producing meat through industrial animal agriculture. So I think that is um, that is a really important factor to remember in this um, that, you know, that that is, you know, we can't separate that from industrial animal agriculture. And that goes back to my kind of key message here is that in order to replace or in order to move move away from industrial animal agriculture, we need to look at um, being able to provide food with the being able to provide people with the food that they want to eat but produced in better ways price taste convenience drives consumer demand we need to be able to kind of get rid of the common denominator meat through this through plant-based and cultivated meat and i mean with regenerative and organic kind of um systems uh yes that is obviously better for the environment but it's still a fraction of kind of the market that we have now again i said 95 percent of our chicken production is is from industrial animal agriculture we need uh you know in in our vision of the future regenerative does have a really important role to play but kind of inherently in regenerative and organic approaches, you need land you need more land to to grow to kind of feed the feed the cows grass-fed grass-fed beef and things like this and in order to do that we also need to to get rid of the the demand that's driving kind of the monocropping for industrial animal agriculture so they're really complementary approaches um you know if we can get rid of the, the the really underlying core problems with our food system, then we can look at like kind of exploring more um, more solutions like regenerative and freeing up land to use that. And that demand is always going to exist. I mean, you know, that 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 demand for high quality, high welfare food uh, animal agriculture products is going to exist, and and hopefully get bigger in the future. And that is in no no way kind of in competition with what we're trying to do with plant-based and cultivated meat, which is to look at, you know, the, the the meat that, you know, lines the supermarket shelves today. It's not the organic high quality thing. It's the, you know, the basic kind of meat that we find today. The com- lowest common denominator meat, we, we call it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you... Um, uh, thank you for that also. Um, if we connect it a little bit back to the uh, the cell-based meat, do you... Yeah. Uh, because obviously... Um, that is probably not not maybe even th- in terms of taste, but especially uh, for the feeling of people, probably approaches real meat, uh, like f- animal-based meat even more mm-hmm. than, than uh, plant-based meat. Um, do you see that as, uh, like, how, what do you see as a winner? Do you think there's just going to be a very differentiated market with a lot of different products, uh, plant-based, cell-based? Uh, or do you see, let's say, 10 years down the line, one of these two routes is going to be uh, more effective than the other
1: yeah so i mean there's a reason we're, we're both we're at the good finish we're looking at plant-based and we're looking at cultivated meat i think we recognize that there will always be people for whom plant-based even the most sophisticated forms that really replicate the experience of meat they they might not cut it and people want you know kind of real meat and at the kind of cellular level of that um so that's why we're looking at um yeah cultivated meat as a as a big part of that transition um i think what's important to to think about is you know our demand for meat uh currently is not because of the way it's being produced you know through kind of crowding animals together in huge yeah. uh, industrial industrial settings it's not because it's not Because animals are being killed and slaughtered that people like eating meat ultimately today, the reason people like eating meat is it tastes really good and you know, it's it's being used in meals that they find familiar and it costs, it it's affordable and it can be used to feed their families. So if we look at the basics of why people are eating meat, um, you know, and if we can replicate that in just through a production process that is so much better, then we will we will get to the same point and we can, you know change our food system that is currently driving so many environmental and health problems.
0: Cool. Um, that That's a very good point to make. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, is it also, uh, are there like in your Institute, a lot of people working from an economic background that are really uh, because you mentioned, you keep mentioning those three factors. Um Is that really a a big point that you guys are focusing on in your research? Like, how does it actually, in in a practical sense, uh, connect to the consumer's wallet?
1: Yeah, so we're with the research and the science we're doing and the research we're funding. um, We are looking at, as I said, producing open access, getting open access research into um, kind of areas of this technology that will help plant-based and cultivated meat become as competitive as possible on price, taste and convenience. So we're looking at, you know, ways that the media, which is basically kind of the the nutrients that the cells grow in that is used to make cultivated meat, we're looking at ways that we can um, provide some foundational research and and make that more affordable, um, because that's one of the biggest issues with cultivated, well like the problem the the barriers that we're finding with cultivated meat is is finding ways of making affordable medium and that's one of the biggest challenges with scaling this up um so yeah we're looking at ways you know with plant-based meat on the other hand we're looking at research that can really um isolate different proteins uh from plants and use it in ways that can replicate kind of the taste of meat so we're looking at research to really advance it on those three grounds which is really the foundational kind of parts of, of this sector that is is sorely missing at the moment because there has just been a, a chronic kind of underinvestment and, and really hasn't been explored to the extent that it, it should have been.
0: Right. Why, why do you think that is? Is it a, a matter of money or why hasn't that been explored in the way it should have been?
1: I think it's just a shift in mindset in terms of looking at plants as, um, you know, ways of replicating meat rather than just kind of being something for vegetarians i mean as i said like the first plant-based meat company that really started looking at replicating meat rather than just kind of giving some food to vegetarians only started a few years ago so the space is quite small as of yet in terms of kind of the the funding and the the money and the talent that's there so i mean that's that's a huge part of it and from the cultivated meat side i think you know it's it's been talked about mostly pioneered in that you know quite a few years ago from from the netherlands but it's not been You know, by some policymakers, I guess it's not been treated as a a real serious possibility. Um, But again, we're seeing exponential kind of growth in that growth of interest and money and talent in this. I mean, when GFI, uh, just after GFI started about five years ago, I think there was about 20 cultivated meat companies. Today, we're at nearly 85, I think, in terms of the whole value production. So again, I think this curve is going to go up and up and up, and it's going to become a bigger and more dynamic uh, industry and sector but in order to do that the fastest way of accelerating that is to get um to get open access r&d and get government money into that space and um, you know it could be driven by private capital and venture capital but that will probably be a longer road and it also will base will you know end up benefiting a few people potentially whereas if governments and, and and policy gets invested in this we can really leverage the societal benefits to everyone because you know as i've said this is a solution to so many of the problems that we're facing with and governments should really be taking this seriously and and really investing and committing into this space
0: right 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 um And and a lot has already been achieved in those uh, few years that that it has taken off from being just food that you give to vegetarians and and, and something that you can actually scale to everybody across the globe. Um, Where do you see this going, like, uh, let's say, 20 years from now? And also, in what type of world would we live then? What type of effects would we see on climate, on on the global population? Where where do you see this two decades from now?
1: Yeah, so I think... We often get asked kind of the question, you know, when, when will we get cultivated meat commercialised kind of widely? And I think our best best estimate in our in our current trajectory, and again that could that could be accelerated significantly with the right investment and right support in place, is that we'll probably see you know high end kind of the higher price range cultivated meat in our supermarket shelves by the end of this decade. Um, the really transformative aspects, which you've just alluded to, is when it becomes commercially available for kind of, you know, everybody becomes more affordable for everyone. And that's probably on this current trajectory, again, another decade or so until we get to that point. Um, But, you know, in our vision of the future and in kind of what we what we're working towards and what we want to see in our food system, we basically want a food system in 20 and 30 years, which isn't driving the climate crisis, isn't burning down the Amazon and isn't making people ill and leaving people hungry. We want a food system that is more sustainable, more healthy and more just for the people, for the planet, for animals everywhere. Um, So we, and to do that plant-based and cultivated meat is a huge part of that solution. I mean, growing meat directly from cells or producing it directly from plants takes so many huge external costs out of the equation and really kind of takes one problem that is driving so many issues today out of the equation. And, and that's the food system we wanna work towards. But again, we need to remember, and we need to really think about the people that will be interested in this. What are they interested in? It's price, taste and convenience. So if you can get this food to taste as good as our conventional system and cost the same or less, and is as readily available as conventional animal agricultural projects today, then then we'll get significantly closer to that reality.
0: Yeah. Right, right, right. It, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um,
1: maybe concluding
0: question. Um, what would you say is the percentage of, uh, like the success rate that you see, um, uh, of actually turning around climate problems, uh, let's say saving the world. Uh, cause as you mentioned, this is a, a huge contributor to climate change, even compared to fossil fuels. Um, if you if you like what's the like uh, the probability that uh that not just you of course but we as as humanity are able to pull that off
1: well i think my my background's in in policy and and politics and, and part of the reason for that is that i've always been motivated by the idea that you know it's only through working together and it's only through having the right policy and structures in place that we can make people's lives better and we can address the collective issues we found we're faced with today so I mean if we leverage the right tools then I uh, from policy from also the private sector from science from academia then I think we can we can face these challenges and again it's it's about political investment it's also about kind of capital investment in this space Um, just look at kind of what we can do when we really put our mind to it I mean we developed a vaccine in you know nine months or 11 months I mean much faster than anybody thought could be possible I think that that gives so much reason for optimism uh, for our ability to really face the climate crisis but it takes real serious investment and commitment and political willingness to do that and that's why we're so excited that at the Goodfield Institute we are focused on advancing a real solution to so many of these problems and you know if we took this as seriously as we took kind of other things during the climate crisis I think we'd get a a lot closer to that to that kind of optimistic future yeah yeah yeah
0: well it will be exciting to see um, an interesting uh, like what type of groups organizations companies are jumping in on this and 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 can uh, accelerate the momentum even further yeah
1: Um, and if you're if people are interested you can follow us at the at good food europe our twitter and we're also at gfi.org we we do kind of um, news and alerts and and collate all the really exciting developments that are happening in this space.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'll put some links in the description of this video and on the the podcast. Well, thank you, Elena, a lot for sharing uh, all your work and insights with us. Um, I think this is really helpful uh, for people to create a a better picture of uh, the possibilities of cell and plant-based meats and where this is likely all heading towards. Um, So thank you for that.